Thank you, Brother Vi. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, if you would, please stand. Nehemiah chapter 4, stand to honor God's word as we read it. So uh, we're going we're gonna to read the whole chapter, and uh, I think we're getting out of chapter 4 with one message. If that changes, I'm sorry, <laughs> but that's what I think we're doing tonight, and we're going we're gonna to continue in this series, Lessons in Building, and uh, message number 7 tonight. So beginning in verse number 1, but it came to pass that when Symbalat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Brother Adam calls this the greatest burn in the Bible. If you know what that is. Ooh, you got burned. Okay, anyway. Um, verse 4, Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. And you say, look, that, that sounds kind of mean. But he, he's not praying. He, he's simply praying based on their conduct. Look, these people hate you. They hate your work. And they are openly defying you and trying to undermine the work of God. Just God, stop them, is what he's saying. Don't let them be successful in their effort. Verse 6, so built we the wall, and the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up, and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth. So notice this, in verse 1, they were wroth, but their anger and their opposition doesn't stop. It just something about the enemy, opposition, it doesn't stop just because you start making progress. In fact, if you are making progress, we need to be aware of this. Church, we got to be aware of this. If we're making progress, the opposition's only going to intensify. You're making progress in your personal life. It's only going to intensify. And so they conspired in verse 8, all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they shall not know, neither see till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, 
from all places which ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord which is great and terrible and fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to not that we returned all of us to the wall, every one into his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the habergeons, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which builded on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so builded, and he that sounded the trumpet was by me. Now that's important for what's next. And I said unto the nobles, and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, the work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall one from another. In what place therefore ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us, our God shall fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time said I unto the people, let everyone with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may be a guard to us and labor on the day. So neither I nor my brethren nor my servants nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that everyone put them off for watching. And see, junior high kids, hygiene's in the Bible, in the Old Testament too. Preach that message at camp, hallelujah. All right, Father, sure are thankful to be here tonight. Pray that you would bless it. Thank you for being attentive to us. Would you please talk to us? I, I know there's weariness. I know there are things going on, but God, help us to hear from you for a, for a little bit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. Beginning on September 7th in 1940 until May of 1941, Germany began what was called the Blitzkrieg, or the Blitz, and they began to relentlessly bomb London and to bomb England. And it is something like 57 consecutive nights, they dropped tons of bombs and explosives on the citizens of England, different cities. I went through and, and looked through some different pictures um, in the aftermath of those bombings. And, and it's really hard. I mean, you see, you see so many pictures and you just get numb to things. And, and it's really hard to imagine walking among that rubble, those injuries, that loss of life, the devastation that was there. And then you read about testimonies of people who tell you it was just night after night. It was sometimes even during the day. It was just this relentless opposition. And yet while that was going on, there was still work to be done. You obviously had the work of rescuing people and treating those who had been injured 
but you had the work of trying to carry on some kind of life because people still needed food, people still needed shelter, work still had to be done. It's not like you could just go down and live in a hole. And so you have two things that were going on during this, during this relentless bombing. You have this, this, this opposition that continues to pound you over and over and over again. You're incurring great casualty and loss of life and injury in, the, in somewhere around 40-some thousand um, that were killed during that time. And then you have work that has to go on in the face of that opposition, in the face of that bombardment. And combined with the relentlessness of the enemy and the exhausting circumstances and nature of the work, you can understand why the people that were enduring that would be discouraged. Well, here in chapter 4... These people that were rebuilding this wall, that were doing a very important work for God. By the way, side note, if you're living for Christ, you are doing an important work for God. Okay, one of my favorite soapboxes, if you will, is... or some kind of ministry title. No, 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 no. You're doing the work of God if you're being obedient to him with your life. God's work is done in homes, taking care of children. God's work, in the monotony of guiding a home, the work of God takes place. God's work is done when you're working at a, as a plumber or working as a carpenter or working as a mechanic or an electrician roofer or a nurse or a teacher or a doctor. No, God's work isn't defined by, oh, I'm a pastor or I'm a missionary. No, Brother Kyle is doing the work of God. Miss Annie, they are doing the work of God. But that's, that's not exclusive to being missionaries. They're doing the work of God for them because that's what they're supposed to do with their life. You can be working in an office, you can be working on an assembly line, but doing the work of God has to do with this, I'm being obedient to him, and being a part of a church like West Valley, that is the work of God. Okay, look, it, it, we get really weary, and sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees, and we get overwhelmed with the grind, but I hope tonight that you got some eternal perspective breathed on your soul when you heard one current missionary to Chile talk about the foundation that was laid by previous missionaries to Chile and how God is using him to build on that, and you've had a, we've had a privilege of being a part of that work. Man, that's the work of God. That's an important work. So many times we undervalue what's going on in our lives as though God's not in it. No, God's in the mundane. God's in those things that aren't glamorous. If you're trying to live your life to be obedient to him as a single adult, as a single parent, as a happily married couple, as a struggling couple, as someone with little regret, as someone with much regret, as someone who's not being ruled by vice, as someone that's trying to overcome vice, if you are trying to follow Jesus Christ, you're doing the work of God. It's an important work. But there were two forces they had to overcome. There was relentless opposition here. You go, go back, please, just for a moment to chapter 2, verse 10. Man, Nehemiah's on a high. He's heard about it. The 
tragic state of things. He seeks God. God opens the door for the king. The king gives his blessing. He shows up. And in verse 10, when Simbalat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. You see, not everyone's happy that you're doing the work of God. No, look, Satan's good with people believing in Jesus as long as it doesn't actually affect the way they live their life. Now, like, and, and I'm using air quotes. I'm not trying to be sarcastic there. But understand, there's a whole lot of people that claim to be Christians. And I'm not, I'm not, the point isn't to judge whether they're saved or not. That's not the point. But salvation is intended to affect the way you live your life. You're not working to be saved, but salvation should be working itself out in the way that you live your life. And there are enemies that are not happy about that. You go to verse 19 of chapter 2. But when Simbalat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn. So you know what it's like to be mocked. Yeah, oh yeah, we've heard that before. Oh yeah, we, we'll, we'll see how serious you are about this Jesus thing in a month. Give it a year. And there, and there can be critics. Tragically, there can be critical voices like that inside of a church. Oh, I've seen them go to the altar before. Just same old, same old. And just laughing and criticizing, mocking. You move into chapter 4, we read it in verse 1. We read it in verse number 7 that there was an intensifying of their anger and their wrath. And, and you got to get this, that the, the enemy and the voices that are trying to oppose the work of God in your life, they do not get, they do not grow weaker with the more that you advance in following Christ. Sometimes they get louder. And notice from chapter 2 to chapter 4, it's only intensified. First, man, we're just not happy. That, that this would be going on. Now we're going to mock you. Now we're mad at the beginning of chapter 4. Now we move on and we see half, half of the wall being built. And we're really mad now. And we're going to do some things to undermine. And we're going to make some threats. I mean, there, there are enemies. But many, of the many times those enemies, they come from within. They can come from within your family. Sometimes, like King David... This is an amazing thought. His greatest opposition wasn't Goliath, it was his brothers. You say, well, I mean, Goliath, yeah, but God had that. Before David could experience the victory of Goliath, over Goliath, he had to overcome the criticism of his cynical, cowardice brother. Sometimes it's the voices in our own head. Now, God, I could never be this kind of a mother that I know I need to be. I could never be this kind of dad. I could never be this kind of, I could never be this kind of leader. I could, I could never overcome this habit. God, I, I, my, my language, I, I just don't know that I can ever correct this. I don't know that I can ever put this bottle down. I don't, God, I don't know that I can ever get these thoughts to be right. The enemy doesn't stop. It increases and it intensifies with every effort of progress that you make. Look, I, I am so confident, I think, and I'm not, I'm not trying to so doubt in anybody's mind, but we, it's easy to say things when it's comfortable, right? 
That's what I'm trying to get at. We win because we have Jesus. But I know I have been shaken in my soul at times. When, when things are said, when things are done over which you have no control, when, when you fail, when other people fail, and you're just overwhelmed with how fragile seems, things seem to be and how easily it can be undone, and then you're confronted with your own weaknesses and those voices that are constantly speaking against you from people that you know or from within, maybe even the effort of Satan to undermine God's work in your life. I'm just telling you, the enemy doesn't stop. And we're foolish to think that if we make enough progress as a church, Satan's going to leave us alone and there won't be adversity. You're foolish to think that as a family. So there was relentless opposition, just constant bombardment. It's sometimes we can get upset about that. We say, God, I'm doing what you want. Why is this hard? Are you ready? Because there's an enemy. That's why it's hard. No, we, we love to complicate things, and, we, and we, try to, we try to make things so complicated that there's no way to deal with them. I'm telling you, the reason following Jesus can be difficult is because there is an enemy. Jesus doesn't make it difficult to understand it's just hard to do it because of the enemy that we face internally, sometimes externally. Then there was the weariness of the work. In verse number 10, I hope you notice this. So you have that onslaught of opposition, but in verse number 10, Judah said the strength. So Judah is, is Judah the enemy or are they a part of the family? Okay, this is the family. And this is what Judah says. The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. Can you think about a tooth? That gets a cavity and it just rots. And then once it decays to a certain degree, it's no longer able to function. It becomes a problem. You can have infection. And some of you know that one tooth being in a bad way can prevent you from being able to eat anything. And so Judah is saying, listen, we we have so much work on us. The labor is so intense, the need so vast, the actual labor is so difficult that that we we are reaching the point of exhaustion. We can't get this cleared out. He references rubbish in verse 10, and so that we're not able, we we can't even build the wall. How how are we talking about building the wall? We can't even get rid of of all of the junk that's here. All of the broken down parts of the wall, the, the wood and the stone and the dirt and the other things that have built up over years uh, while we were in exile. God, we, there's just too much here. Here's the truth of a good work. It's a hard work. A good work is a hard work. Look... I wish marriage was easy. No, I do. But even, even good marriages, hard work. Ask Andrea if being married to me is hard work. <laughs> Parenting, hard work. You know why we're okay with babies having to be taken care of? No, no, listen, because it's hard work being a mama. And that's not a problem. We respect that and love that. 
It's hard work being a mom. It's hard work being a dad. Let's just be real. It's hard work thinking right thoughts. I just don't struggle with my thoughts. You need to be at the altar right now for lying. No, I'm not saying we all struggle with the same kind of thought. But every one of us has thoughts that need to be brought into captivity. And brothers and sisters, that is a daily exercise of yielding yourself to Jesus Christ and working at it. Reading your Bible takes work. I'm amazed at how much, how, how hard we find it to develop spiritual discipline. Look, 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 look. Reading your Bible and praying is not some kind of checklist that fixes everything. You should read your Bible and pray because you love God. And it's the, it's the means by which we interact with him. Well, I can interact with God without reading my Bible or praying. No. See, this is what we, we make prayer this thing that we only do at an altar. You better be praying throughout the day. You know what prayer is? It's talking to him. That's how we talk to God. When I open his word, whether it's for one minute or for two hours. By the way, people get discouraged because their Bible reading is up and down. Let me encourage you with this. Start with something achievable. Stop saying, I haven't been reading my Bible. Now I'm going to read 10 chapters a day. Maybe, but it might be that a person who never does any push-ups doesn't start off doing a 1,000 push-ups. And maybe you just need to get in the discipline of getting up and taking a walk and doing five push-ups. And don't, don't be down on yourself. Don't be down on each other because we got to work at it. It's hard work, isn't it? Just showing up at church is hard work, isn't it? It is. You're like, man, I'm tired. It, it, I, I want to sleep. Yeah, I know. That's <laughs> all right. And I got, I got other things going on. It's, the work causes weariness. And we haven't even talked about ministering to people. And you're expected, not by me, by him. You are expected to minister to people on top of all that other hard work. <laughs> you see, where does Jesus said, bear you one another's burdens. Jesus said that you which are spiritual, and I'm not quoting this exactly, but you need to minister to those that are, that are carnal or immature. You need to help bring them along. We are to minister to each other. There is weariness in work, and when you combine the relentless opposition, and the weariness of the work. And sometimes it's going to feel like there's so much work that it can never get done. There's so much rubbish that it can never get cleaned up. There's so much challenge that we can never make progress. The danger is that we get discouraged and we give up. Look at verse 14. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord which is great and terrible and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. He would not have motivated them with that if they weren't thinking about quitting. You never make so much progress. You never have so much success. You are never married so long, parented so long, pure so long, disciplined so long that you think you are immune 
to quitting or giving up. They had made a lot of progress here. A lot of progress. And yet because of the relentless opposition and because of the weariness of the labor, Nehemiah sense a man, these people, my people, my brothers and sisters, they are ready to throw in the towel. So how did, how did they overcome this? First, I want you to notice what they didn't do. I won't stay long on this, but they didn't stop the work. <laughs> no, they, top, they, they talked about the work, maybe not being able to keep it going, but they never actually stopped the work. <laughs> the work kept going. They didn't turn on each other. You know what's easy to do when you feel, when there's, when there's opposition from the outside, when there's, when there's some friction, it's easy to start pointing fingers. Well, if you had cleaned up your area a little better, if you wouldn't be like this, if you wouldn't have this attitude, if you wouldn't do this, it's easy to turn on one another. You know what else they didn't do? They didn't turn on Nehemiah. Nehemiah, what'd you lead us into? Nehemiah's just trying to follow God. Listen, if you think that following the leader God has given you means that nothing is hard and nothing goes wrong, you need to take a really cold dose of reality and understand if we're following Jesus, it's going to get hard. No, I don't want it to be hard. I, I, I'm not looking for it to be hard. I don't, I don't enjoy all of the stretching processes that God takes us through but they didn't say, man, Nehemiah, this is you. So what did they do? I want to give you a quote of Winston Churchill, who is credited for motivating and inspiring and uniting England during those bombings and helping them survive. This is what he said. When there is no enemy within, no enemies outside can stop you. Here's what he did. He worked at keeping England united. And in the face of opposition that was relentless, and work that caused great weariness, Nehemiah and the people of God stayed united. Three areas. It doesn't mean they agreed on every single thing. Look, there are so many details we don't know about this. We're just kind of giving an overview, even with the great detail. This is an overview. I mean, can you imagine the, the dudes and the labor, and they're like, I think we need to put that rock here. No, that rock needs to go here. I mean, this is just 52 days, I think is what it says, and then they build half the wall. You know there was some internal friction and tension at times. Look at their people like us. Believers like us. They were feeling it, but they stayed united. Number one, they were united in prayer. It, it says in verse four, it tells us what he prayed, but then you get to verse 7 and 8, the conspiracy of the opposition. Notice verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch. Look, there, there were things going on simultaneously. There was prayer and action. But the Bible records these things a certain way on purpose. And the reason the prayer is mentioned first is it's not because prayer is the only thing that God's people need to do. That is, a, that is a false, weird view of Christianity. We just need to pray. No, but it is the first thing you need to do. And it is the thing you need to be doing even while you're doing the other things you need to be doing. You realize you can talk to God while you're working. 
You know, you realize, mamas, that you can talk to God when your child is driving you crazy and you're doing like your 87,000th load of laundry and you're trying to teach them some concept that you know they understand, but because they have the attitude and demeanor of their father on that particular day, they're just digging in their heels and they're not being responsive. And you know that you can talk to God in those moments and that he hears you and helps you. And you know, young men, you know, young women, that when your thoughts are running rampant and you're struggling to have the right kind of attitude, that if you'll develop an awareness of God, that even as a young person, you can say, God, my attitude right now is really struggling. I'm thinking about some things I know I shouldn't be. God's not wanting to slap you in the head. God's not sitting up in heaven mad at you and angry at you because you struggle. He's wanting you to reach out to him. You can talk to him. Prayer is the energy that enables all the other things we need to do. Like, it's still hard, right? But prayer, God makes it possible when his people talk to him in ways that are just incredible. But it wasn't, so in verse four, Nehemiah records his prayer, but you get down to verse nine, we made our prayer. Look, look I, I have, I know I have been convicted of this, that I have benefited in the work of God from people praying for me more than I was praying for myself like I needed to be. You know what I'm saying? You know, look, sometimes we reap the benefit of others praying for us more fervently and consistently than we are praying about things like we need to. No, look, it's not enough just for the staff to be praying for this revival. It's not enough just for the trustees and their wives to be praying for this revival. We all need to be engaged in asking God to work. It's not enough for us to be praying for this building program. It's not enough for, for just a few to be praying for. It's not enough just for the men that will really lead the way in it. It's not enough just for them to be praying. It's not enough just for the Ramirez's to be praying for their granddaughter or for the Cox to be praying for their family with the death of his sister. No, we need to be united in praying. It's not the only thing that we do. They prayed and set a watch, but it does need to be the first thing that we do and the thing that we do while we're doing everything else. Listen, I don't know how this works, but there are many times when I'm, I'm literally asking God to help me mid-sentence. I'm like, God, I'm struggling right now. I need, I need you to help me. And you can tell when I'm struggling. Maybe you're like, Pastor, that seems like all the time. But anyway, they were united in prayer. Number two, they were united in involvement. And so they come at them, the enemy comes at them, verse 13, therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And their family was even a motivation. Every family was in a place, working together. It wasn't just one group doing most of it, it just wasn't just a few families doing most of it. Every, every family was involved. Our staff heard some great truth the other day, and that's this. Family and church shouldn't be a competition. No, we, we've let, we've got so many imbalances, and listen, there is a church ditch, and there is a family ditch. Can I give you some philosophy here? I, I'm not saying this because I want people to agree with it. If you disagree with it, it's fine. Lots of people have different ways of doing things. There is a reason that we minimize organized events on Saturday. Because I'm trying to protect family time. That doesn't mean we never do things on Saturday, like the breakfast that's coming up. 
But I'm not trying to push and cram your life with every square inch of your free time because moms and dads need to have some time. A church is only going to be as strong as its families are. But there is a family ditch where people create this competition and this tension like, no, 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 I've got to have my time. No, you ought to learn how to have your time being a part of a church family. No, that's possible. Stop looking at church as always a competition with your family and start looking at this as an opportunity to grow your family. Because you can have both. Great personal time which you need, and great time here, which you need. Every person was involved. I hope that makes sense. They took every area seriously. Man, I, 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 I walked out into the foyer a minute ago, and I didn't ask for permission to say it, so I won't say who, but I saw a dude and his lady. And the dude was one of our great safety workers and ladies just standing out there talking to him. It just made my heart happy. You say, what? Watching people minister together. Watching people enjoying being with each other and being a part of this family together. No, every, every part of the work that goes on here. Man, I love watching the Casper Zacks come back here on Sundays and mess with those bags to give out to guests. And they're doing a great job of it. Whether it's in the nursery or in a Sunday school class, every part matters. They were united in their involvement. Look, it can't be 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. It can't be that. I understand that's the standard, it's the expectation, or the norm, not the standard, the norm. But that's not what Jesus wants. He wants us all to be united. It doesn't mean we're all doing the same thing or the same amount, but we're all united in doing something together. Number three, they were united in awareness of each other. This is probably my, okay, the prayer, and then this point, the two that I have the most concern about. Did you, did you remember that he said in verse number 18, he that sounded the trumpet was by me? Remember I pointed that out. You read the next verse and he talks about how everybody spread out. It is amazing how we can be working on the same thing, but get really far from each other. You know what I'm talking about? And it feels like, man, I, I haven't really talked to them in a, in a long time. I, man, I, man I, I see my pastor three times a week up here, but it doesn't, doesn't feel like we ever have interaction. You know what that feels like, right? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing it. No, I'm, we can start to feel distance. Th- that trumpeter was there so that when Nehemiah got word that there was a particular part of the wall being attacked, that trumpeter would go and they would blow the trumpet. And through that trumpet being blown, it would direct the people where to rally to one another. We have to be united in rallying to each other. Okay, guests show up that you don't know. There ought to be people, that ought to be a trumpet going off in your head, rallying. God's people are rallying to that guest. Look, you don't know what people are going through. Come on, come on. I'm, I'm trying, 
trying to finish this. You don't know what people are going through. You're like, Pastor, I'm going through a lot. Right, other people are going through a lot too. And if you have Jesus and if he's working in your life, then God can use you to work in that person's life. And you don't have to take sole responsibility to fix anything in their life, but you can be a help for God to use you to encourage them and help them to know that they are not alone in this. There is a God. It needs to be a, it needs to be a trumpet going off. Hey, there's a guest. We need to rally around them. Some of you need the trumpet of forgiveness going off. Oh, look, you can't have more than two people together without there being offenses that arise. <laughs> yeah, okay, I don't, y'all didn't enjoy that? Look, if this church only consisted of me and my wife, leave my kids out of it. Let's pretend my kids... Go to y'all's church. <laughs> it's just me and my wife. Two. Not three, just two. We're going to need the help of God to forgive one another. Oh, I promise you, if she's the only one here in my preaching, there's going to be some... Ooh. I'm like, and why weren't you at the altar? <laughs> we need to rally to the trumpet of encouragement. You gotta learn to check on one another and encourage one another. Again, it's not your job to fix everybody's problem. It's not your job to have an answer. But you don't all have to always have an answer and have to always fix everybody's problem to be an encouragement, to keep going and to not give up, to not give up on yourself, to not give up on your family, to not give up on what God is doing in your life. We gotta rally to the trumpets of reconciliation of church attendance, of service, of humility, of, of helping each other. And we've got to be aware of one another. And I, I'm thankful I hear about this. People express gratitude in many areas to different leaders that are investing in different people. I'm thankful for it. That ought to be a norm. You know why? Because the, 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 kid, the teachers that are teaching our children, they have burdens too. And it's nice for them to hear every once in a while, you're doing a great job with our kid and we really appreciate it. You know what that is? That's blowing a trumpet and helping them know that you're not alone in this. And to overcome relentless opposition and the weakness of, and the, excuse me, the weariness of the work. Stay united. Here's the last thing, and I'll be finished. Staying unified is not something passive that happens to you. It's something that you choose. It's not an emotion. Unit, staying unified as the people of God is not an emotion. It's a choice. It's a choice to pray first and continuously. It's a choice to stay involved. And it's a choice to rally to one another. You know what we often do? We often rally away from each other. I'll talk about it. No, I've watched, I've watched pastors do it. 
man, some, somebody gets hurt, somebody goes through a hard time, and we want to know as many juicy details as we can, but nobody's ever going to write a note, nobody's ever going to make a call, nobody's ever going to send a text and try to help anybody. And the reason pastors can be like that is because they're human. And that's the reason Christians can be like that. We love to have the piranha syndrome where we smell blood and we're just going to go at it. Look, things need to be dealt with, but we ought to be rallying to help one another. So to overcome the relentless opposition that won't stop and the weariness of the work that won't necessarily get easier all the time. Stay united, but you got to choose it. I, I, don't, I don't feel unified. Rather than blaming other people for why you don't feel unified, ask, spend some time tonight and say, God, what do I need to do to start getting unified? If you'll get there, you'll eventually start to feel it. Stop looking around saying, well, I could be unified if they, no, 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 no. Be unified. Do the things that lead to a unified body, a unified family. And maybe it starts with, like we talked about praying for a minute tonight, asking God for help. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I mean, every head bowed, every eye closed. Would there be anyone that would say, there, there is opposition that I feel pretty consistently in my life? Would you raise your hand? Yep, yep, all over. How many of you would, would there be any that would raise their hand and say, there, I, am, I am weary. I, I know I'm doing the work of God. And I hope you were encouraged by that, brothers and sisters. That was meant to be an encouragement to you. You're not, you're not doing the work of God because it's glamorous or because you see all of the fruit of it. You're doing the work of God because you're being obedient to Jesus and trying to live the kind of life that he says you should. But you would say, man, I'm weary in my work, whether, whether it's at my job or in my home or at church. I just, I'm tired. I'm just weary. And, and I don't always see the progress and I don't always think it's possible. I'm just weary. Would you raise your hand before the Lord? Yep, yep. And so you have the opposition that is relentless. You have the work that wearies you. And the, one of the dangers is that you can get discouraged. But the way to combat the discouragement, it's, it's in being unified together. We draw so much strength from each other. I should have done a better job of this tonight, but you, you imagine the bombings going on and, and this family's just so discouraged and they've lost some loved ones. But then they come out after the raids stop and the sirens stop and the smoke is still billowing from buildings and they see other families come out and they're encouraged. They're encouraged to keep at it because they're unified with their neighbors. They're unified with their countrymen. The, the men and women and the children that were rebuilding this wall, they, they had their heads down and they got discouraged, but then they looked up and they heard the trumpet blow and they saw brothers and sisters coming to help them. That unity together. It helped to encourage them. And I'm telling you, we get really discouraged when we start getting isolated. And we let opposition and weariness drive us away from one another instead of working to stay together. So if God has spoken to you tonight about areas where it's about prayer, it's about involvement, or it's about rallying to one another. If God has spoken to you, then would you respond to him tonight? Say, God, I, I don't want to be passive about unity. I, I want to be active in being unified. It's something that you have to choose to do.
Let's all stand together. Brother Nate, start singing. If God has spoken to your heart, you respond to him. Take